relates to discipleship. It relates just to being Christians and what it means to, to trust Christ and follow Him. But with that, it connects to our mission. It connects to the call to be part of what God's doing uh, in and through Christ in the world. Of part of following Him and bringing His love and truth to the whole world. Following Him wherever He leads us. And sometimes that mission means that He calls us to give things up for Him. To sacrifice the, the normal things. The things that are good at, uh, perhaps even uh, in and of themselves and are intended by God for good use. But at times we need to give those things up. And this passage we're going to see teaches us about the truth that Christ frees us. He frees us to let go of things. To give those things to Him. To, to see those things multiplied in His hands and rewarded. It's amazing. Amazing truth in this passage. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word and, and to change us in light of these great truths. Lord, thank You for this part of Your Word. Lord, thank You for the truths here. Thank You for Your living Word. Thank You for Your presence with us. We want to listen to You. We want to be as if we were there and more. We want the Spirit of God, You God in us, to, to stir us up, to understand, to believe, and to follow, and be changed by Your Word. Thank You that this is Your intent. This is what You do. It's what You want to do this morning. So we give You our lives and our hearts and our hands. And we ask You to speak and lead us. Help me, Lord, to do a good job of serving You and Your people and what You want to do this morning. Glorify Your name in all this, we pray. Amen. Amen. Follow along with me as I read from Mark chapter 10. It says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him. Loved him. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow Me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for He had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at His words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to Him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man... It is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, 
See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first god's word for mark chapter 10 so wonderful story here wonderful account of jesus interaction with both this young man and his disciples it's given to us in Scripture to, to learn as disciples what it means to follow Christ. It's given actually right after a section in Scripture where the little children come to Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to be like these little children to enter the kingdom of God. So keep that in mind. This young man's contrast with the young children. The young man, uh, we know from elsewhere that he's a, a, a ruler. There are parallel accounts in Luke and Matthew. He's a rich young man. Uh, we don't know the details, but, but he's got some sort of stature, uh, maybe he's uh, some sort of civic or community leader, maybe the eldest son of a wealthy, a very wealthy influential family in the area, something like that. So he's a prominent, well-off young man, and he comes to Jesus with a very good question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, like he often does, answers his question with a question. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God alone. Jesus is seeking to adjust this young man's point of reference. That's what's going on there. It's not that Jesus is saying, I'm not good, speaking of himself. Or he's not saying, I'm not God. That's not what he's getting at. He's getting at this man's presumption about who Jesus is and about who the young man is. And so he comes to him and says, good teacher. And Jesus wants to adjust his whole understanding because he thinks, probably thinks Jesus is just a man and thinks he's good, and he probably thinks he, he himself is good. That's part of his problem that Jesus is going to get at. So Jesus right away is adjusting his perspective, saying no one is good except God alone. That's important to frame this whole section to understand this initial statement. Jesus says no one is good except God alone. So we should come at the rest of the things he says in light of that truth. He's constantly bringing truth to this young man. Sadly, he doesn't get it. Jesus continues his rescue of the young man by not only saying no one is good but God alone, which would have been enough to answer his question at that point, or to start to answer his question, but he doesn't get the clue. So Jesus says, what about the commandments? You know the commandments. And he recites the commandments. So Jesus brings the law of God because the young man has said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Scripture calls us to obedience. And the one who obeys perfectly will be accepted. So there, it's true. So he goes through the commandments. But he's bringing these commandments not that the young man would see that he himself is good and deserves heaven, but that he would realize the first thing, that no one's good but God alone, including himself. So he goes through the commandments. These commandments, the Ten Commandments. All good and true things. All things from God. Commands of God that are good and right and, and meant for our enjoyment and our 
blessing and glory to God. But the reality is, if we take a look at the Ten Commandments, and I could take time this morning, I won't, but just to go through those commandments and tease out how we do in those commandments. We, one of the things that we do as a church, we have a little booklet, How Good Are You? And, and it's a presentation of the Gospel. And, and it presents the Ten Commandments. And it, it kind of leads the person reading the booklet through thinking about the Ten Commandments and how good, how do they measure up. And, and it's what happens by the end of the time, you realize not a single one, not a single one of these commandments do I obey. See, the law of God is perfect and right and good. And the the result of looking at the law, the result of looking at the law should be that we are convicted of our failure. Not that we think, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Never murdered anybody. It says, do not murder. I never murdered anybody. Jesus says, if you hate someone, you hold hatred to someone in your heart, you've murdered them. It's the same thing. Just you haven't acted on it. It's meant to convict us. It's meant to show us our flaws, and, and by looking at the Word of God, we, we shouldn't be thinking oh, how good we are. We should be thinking how miserable I am. What a failure I am. It offers no hope. The, the law of God offers no hope for our salvation. Only conviction of our sin. And it should lead, lead us to despair of self-effort. Despair of self-righteousness. That's what this young man should have got. That's what Jesus is getting at. That's what we need to understand too. The law of God is good and right. But it offers no hope of salvation. We have to look somewhere else. It should only cause us to realize we fall short and we need help to to somehow change and, and begin to obey these good commands. Well, the young man doesn't see it, does he? He says, all these I've kept from my youth. Wow, what a statement. All these I've kept from my youth. I'm looking really good here, Jesus. Now, we look at him and laugh, but, but we've probably made that statement, at least in our, our hearts at times. I'm pretty good. We do it all the time, don't we? You, you've heard the stat that 90% of drivers think they're better than most of the other drivers out there. That's impossible, right? At best, it's 50. 90% of drivers, right? I don't know about the 10% what they're like, but, but uh, that's how we do this. We're just like this guy. But Jesus is bringing the law so that he would look at himself and realize, no, I haven't kept them. The law is like a mirror. Actually, the law is more than just a normal mirror. It's like one of those um, magnifying mirrors. Uh, my wife has one of those magnifying mirrors with the light behind it, you know, and you look at yourself. And, um, and if you look at yourself, now, this is true for me. I'm not saying anyone else. But this, if I look at myself in one of those mirrors, I see things in my face that I don't normally see. Um, like the micro wrinkles and stuff, and the dirty pores and everything, and uh, and I stay away from those mirrors at my point in my age. Now maybe you have baby young skin, and you know you can look and the wow, I look so good, but it's not going to last. <laughs> um, and that mirror reveals what I really look like, and it would be ridiculous for me. And if you don't believe me, just get a close-up. Yeah, actually, you can see from where you are. It would be ridiculous for me to say I have baby fresh skin, not a wrinkle. Not a, not a defect. It would be ridiculous. That's what the law is like. The law reveals our, our spiritual state. And it's like that magnifying mirror, but even more. And it should, it should force us to realize we're in trouble. This guy doesn't see it. He says, all these I've kept from my youth. So what does Jesus do? He turns up the magnification on the mirror. He turns it up. And he, as God, who has authority to say such a thing, commands him to obey the law in a way that goes right at his heart. 
See, the law is about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. About trusting God with all of our lives and all of our resources. That's what, that's what it's about. It's about loving our neighbor as ourselves. Treating our neighbors as if they were ourselves. Loving them that way. That's the summary of the law. And the Ten Commandments is an expression of that particularly. And there are, there are many commandments in the Scripture. There are actually more commandments in the New Testament than the Old, by the way, that, that flesh out this loving of God, trusting God, loving God. And so Jesus turns up the magnification and, and says to the young man, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Basically, Jesus is saying, okay, let me help you see yourself. Give everything you have away to the poor and then come follow me. In other words, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Trust God with your life. Come follow me. Love your neighbors yourself by giving your neighbors, your poor neighbors, all your money. Jesus turns up the magnification on the man, and all of a sudden, the young man sees the big, gnarled, ugly wart in the middle of his face in what Jesus says. He sees it. He brings the, the focus on this. He sees this wart of materialism and the false god of wealth in his life. It's exposed in all of its ugly detail. And what the young man realizes in that moment, we don't know all that went on in his heart, but he realizes all of a sudden, yeah, I got that wart and I like it that way. And so this young man who was so excited to ask the question, thinking that you know, it's going to look good for him, now all of a sudden has his sin exposed, has his false God exposed, has his orientation towards money exposed. That he doesn't really trust God. He really doesn't love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't love his neighbor as himself. No, instead he, he loves money with all his heart. And he loves himself in place of his neighbor. That's what gets exposed. He's put his hope in his money. And you know what guys? We are tempted by the same thing. There, there's this idea, if you have money, right? you got power. And you can get what you want and be happy. Whatever that is that makes you happy. For a lot of us, it's just you know, comfort. Paying the bills. If I could just pay my bills. And so we look at money and think, that if I had money, should I buy that $650 million Powerball ticket? And I'm not trying to get into your heart on your motivations to buy it or not. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to do that. But maybe what's going on in your heart is, if I just had $650 million, then I'd be happy. Jesus is getting at this man's idolatry that his trust is in his stuff, not in God. And so he won't let go. And, and, and it says when he heard these things, he became very sad. Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus uses hyperbole to, to illustrate just how difficult it is for a young man like this rich young man to enter the kingdom of God, to truly find life and forgiveness in Christ and belong to God and have an eternity with God. It's, it's easier than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's the biggest animal they had in their culture and the smallest portal. Basically, it's impossible. We might say it's easier to get an elephant through a keyhole than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And, and and his disciples hear all this, this radical call to give all to Jesus, to trust Him with all things, and the fact that it's impossible 
difficult for the young man and really anybody, and they say, realizing the implications, then who can be saved? If it's that difficult, putting a, a camel through the eye of a needle, then who can be saved? They, they apply to themselves, really. We, can we be saved is, is the implication there. Now Jesus says, His response is, it's impossible with men. Wow. It's impossible with men. So the whole question in the beginning, the young man asks, is, is really off, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, basically here, you can't do a thing. It's impossible with men. But it is possible with God. God alone can work. God alone can rescue. The reality is, guys, left to ourselves, we are in a desperate place. Left to ourselves, we're going to hold on to that stuff and not come to Jesus. We're going to trust in our stuff and our finances and in the things that God has made, the good things even. We're going to put our hope there instead of trusting in Christ. And we'll do that to our detriment and the detriment of others. We'd rather put our faith somewhere else. The Scripture teaches us that mankind is in this place where we've exchanged the glory of God for the created things. We don't want God. We want the stuff. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short. We're in this place of brokenness. We, we want anything but God and His glory. We want the stuff. We want to put our hope there. We're like the monkey who has his hand stuck in the jar. Have you heard about how you catch monkeys. Uh, you, you put some food, some nuts or something in a jar or a gourd, hollowed out gourd. And the, this, this is done with baboons and small monkeys. And they'll come they're, uh, and they're curious. They'll put their hand in and they'll grab the stuff inside. And if you make the dimensions just right, they'll make a fist inside. And when they go to pull their hand out, because they won't let go of the stuff, they can't get their hand out. To the point where, if, as long as the jar is tied down, you can come over now and put a bag over the monkey and catch the monkey. He still won't let go of the stuff. No matter what. And that's what we're like. We hold on to the stuff and we won't let go. And unless something miraculous happens in our life, we'd rather hold on to the stuff than let go and hold on to Jesus. That's where we are. That's what this passage teaches us. Now, the passage itself implies that there's hope because Jesus promises reward to His disciples. Something has gone on in the disciples' lives that has transformed them from being the monkeys holding on to the stuff in the jar to letting go and following Jesus. In the interaction, Peter says, look, we've left everything to follow you. So they have already let go of this stuff to follow Jesus. You see, they've encountered Jesus. That's what's happened here. And that is the the vehicle where God does the impossible in our lives. When we encounter Jesus, when we see Jesus for who He is, when we experience the, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, revealing Jesus to us and who He is and what He's done in the good news, the Gospel, when we see Him for who He is, we let go of the stuff. And we take His hand and follow Him. We see Him and who He is and, and, and at the core of who He is, what God wants to know, 
us to know about Him is what He has done on the cross. That He's God in the flesh. He's been born among us. He's dwelt among us. He's lived a righteous, good life, loving others, loving His heavenly Father. And He offered up that righteous life on the cross in our place. He went to the cross, a place of terrible torture, to pay the sins of those who would trust in Him. To pay for all of our sins. Any and all of our, our sins for any and all who would believe in Him. He bore our sins on the cross, on, on the tree, that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That in Him, we might be forgiven. Sin is any and everything that we do that's counter to loving God and loving others. That's counter to trusting God. And the just response of God to our sin is, is exile. To put us away. To, to punish us by pushing us away, letting us go our own way away from Him. To live life apart from Him. And if we continue to, to dwell in eternity apart from Him, that's the very worst thing that could ever happen. That's the wages of sin is that sort of death. But Christ came to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That they could be forgiven. And through faith in Him, we could receive forgiveness and be reconciled to Him. So when we see Jesus for what He's done, dying for our sins, rising again on the third day, victorious over sin and death, and now reigning, when we see Him in His Word by the power of the Holy Spirit in all of His goodness, in all of His love, in all of His glory, let go of the stuff. That's what it means to come to Jesus. That's what it means to be converted as we say. To be born again. To have new life. To experience new life in us. A new perspective. To repent and believe. That's all captured in that image. And to follow Him. And that's what this passage talks about when it talks about the disciples. What's gone on in their lives. Peter says, see, we've left our homes and everything to follow you. We've let go of the stuff in the jar because we see who you are. What about us? What happens to us? And Jesus' answer is amazing. The promise that He gives to His disciples is audacious. He says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. It says in the passage, a hundredfold. His promise is when you let go of the stuff in the jar, for the sake of Jesus and His mission, when you are willing to give to Him all that you have, as He would lead you, there's reward. A hundredfold reward. There's blessing. He promises as God in the flesh this sure promise that I will reward you a hundred times in this life and in life to come. It's a promise from the Savior. That all who heed the call to abandon all, to follow Him, to, to let go of whatever would hinder us from Him, will receive multiple times. Whoever sacrifices for the sake of Him and His kingdom will receive a hundred times. Those who have left a house, a place of comfort and security. Those who have left family and loved ones. Those who have left careers and familiar locales. Those who have left a loving church family to follow. Those who have left anything for the sake of following Christ. Those who have given up anything to contribute to Christ in the mission will be rewarded. That includes those who go and those who send as well, I believe. Now I'm sure for each one of you who 
has followed Christ and is following Christ, that you have a story about this. And I love to hear those stories. How God multiplies what we give to Him. You've sacrificed time and money. You've probably given up good job prospects perhaps to be in a good church or be in the right place where God wants you. You've perhaps given up comfortable homes or even friends and family for the sake of the Gospel. I would say for those of us who have chosen to remain in New England and be part of this church or another for the sake of Christ and the Gospel, you are sacrificing. New England's not an easy place to be for a Christian. There are places in the country that are more friendly to Christians, more comfortable. There are places in the country where you get a bigger home and probably a better, easier job. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if you've decided that this is where God's calling me, then you have sacrificed for the Gospel and the mission. And the Lord rewards that. And I, those stories, are, are we all have them. I, I, I love to hear them. Let me just tell you one little story about us as a church. You, you know this story if you've been around for a couple of years. Two years ago, you guys, King of Grace, sacrificed on many fronts for the sake of the Gospel in New England. Two years ago, this September, you sent out 20% of your adult membership along with all that they represented. Deep friendships. Good friends. Gifted leaders. Generous givers. The opportunity to prosper our church here in Haverhill by, by keeping them. And I know we still feel that sacrifice. But what has God done as a result? What has God done as a result? Well, He's taken care of us. He's brought many new people here. Given us precious gifts and new friends. He's drawn people to Christ through us in the meantime. And now when, when those people we sent out, our friends come back, they actually don't recognize a lot of people. Because what God's done in bringing people to us. Not only has He touched lives through our church, since then, but he's touched lives, lives through these other churches where they have planted. There's a combined um, attendance now at both those churches of like 100. So we sent out maybe 20 people and we got 100. And, and, and those people represent not just the, that number, but lives. Lives touched. Lives transformed. Disciples made. People baptized and added to the church. That's part of this 100-fold reward. And you guys have been a part of that. That's just one story. We have lots of other stories, guys. I know there's things that have gone on. And I also want us to, to trust God for the future stories. Jesus calls us in this passage to be a people who, who live in light of this. Who let go of the stuff, but then take the stuff and say, here Jesus, use it. Build your kingdom. Use us. Touch lives. Grow the kingdom. Transform lives. Build churches. Reach unreached people groups. Guys, let us live in light of this passage. Being freed up by Jesus. Knowing that in Jesus we have everything. Forgiveness. Life. Promises. A sovereign God who rules over our lives to work all things for good. One who will never leave us and never forsake us. Who gives us the grace to serve Him and, and does wonders through weak people. And will reward us in this life and forever. Let, let us live in light of this. We have Jesus. Let's let go of anything else and use it all to serve Him. 
in whatever capacity we're called. Now, for some of us, we're going to go. We're going to keep on sending people, God willing. Some of you will go. We're hoping to plant in the next few years into Salem. We're hoping to send out missionaries as a church. And we get today to be part of what's going on in Thailand through the Englands. So as, as we finish our time today, I just want you to consider, would God have you let go of something and give it to Him for the sake of the mission? And that might be real immediate. I'm not doing this to manipulate you, but maybe today you can help the Englands get to Thailand and to stay in Thailand. Just as a way to say to Jesus, you're everything and all that I need. And I'm willing to give things up for you. The Savior has audaciously promised to greatly multiply your sacrifices for Him even a hundredfold. Jim Elliot famously said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You for who You are and what we have in You. And Lord, I pray by Your power, even now, would You work in our hearts to let go and to know that we have You. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know them, Lord, touch their lives to see that it's not worth holding on to the stuff in the jar. To put their trust in You for forgiveness and for life and for everything. And for those of us who do know You, Lord, would You strengthen us and encourage us to remember this truth, to let go and to give to You for the sake of Your glory, Your mission in our lives, in our church, and to the world as well. We pray all these things and thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, I finished early.